0: light treason news everyone pop culture politics and a sprinkle of treason i'm joined today by meredith hi everybody how you
1: doing i'm working so much still still reeling with joy from uh, the the midterms the midterms and the fact that scott walker lost i cannot
0: tell you so here's how bananas the midterms were and i mentioned this when we did our special election episode which you should all go back and listen to if you missed it scott walker Villain number one to the left just a handful of years ago, not Uh even like the top five news stories of what happened during the midterm. And
1: it's amazing because all of this shit happened really under the radar on the national stage. And I think it was because the guy who unseated him was uh, this guy, Tony Evers, governor-elect Evers, is... Really like he's pretty dull, pretty milk toast. He's the superintendent of schools, very like he's a dorky science teacher. Right. But the the news about Foxconn and it being such a massive scam, plus like just the fact that eight years of Walker has really done an enormous amount of damage to the like economy and to people in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It just turned out that he couldn't pull it off and it was a huge deal though and I like all credit goes to the workers and activists who like busted their asses to knock doors especially in places like the um the black neighborhoods in Milwaukee because they're uh there has been like low turnout, like major disenfranchisement in the last election. Right. Um, you know, 100,000 tons, hundred thousand votes dis, uh, disqualified or, you know, suddenly invalidated because of voter ID concerns. And Trump won by 22,000 votes cool. in 2016. Cool. So this is like those two years and the like tireless efforts. Like now we're going to see some, like hopefully see something good come out of this. But right. yeah, and it is also. His stupid face and his ham and cheese eating summer shandy, and Kugels drinking nonsense can just finally go away. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, so before we get to newsy stuff, and I, I'm going to ask you for any recs you have. Of course. We have Patreon questions. Everyone, I have a Patreon. I don't mention it on every episode, but it's true I have one. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. If you sign up at the $5 a month level or higher, you get to send questions that will answer on Light Trees and News. And this one is specifically addressed to not just me, but also you, Meredith. Mm. And I think this is because we have talked about... Um, timothy chalamet a lot yeah we've show. we've
1: definitely had some chalamet love going There's on theme
0: going on yeah so rachel wants to know uh well first they start i think this one is best for you and meredith to address but obviously others might have very relevant feelings on this as well have you seen god's own country it came out the same year as Call Me By Your Name, so I am, as usually, very behind on things. I still haven't gotten to, to watch Call Me By Your Name, but after watching God's Own Country, which is streaming on Netflix, and doing a little Googling, seems like folks were disappointed it got so much less hype. Maybe because it's not about two well-off white dudes? Question mark. Anyhow, if you all haven't watched it, you totally should. Would love to hear your thoughts. So that's kind of true. I have seen God's Own Country. There is one white guy in it, mm-hmm. Um, I think, and like his entire white family, in fact, as far as I can remember, there's one person of color <laughs> in the movie, but everyone recommended I see God's mm-hmm. Own Country after I said I enjoyed Call Me By Your Name. Um, it's fine. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I just looked it up
1: and I think I do remember when it came out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got some, it, the, there's two people that look like they probably have smaller Parts, but whose names i recognize um yeah and i
0: yeah it it's looks good. like i, I should think say like it, that made it sound like it's a bad movie it's not a bad movie it's a good movie here was my issue with it uh i was just and i am generally over watching things that fall into the gay tragedy mm-hmm. category uh okay. and i guess it's a happy ending but you have to get through of the white dude being like a belligerent alcoholic Uh, and an asshole because he's closeted and you know, like obviously like he has reasons for acting that way, Mm -hmm. but it's not like, an enjoyable movie. Yeah.
1: I mean, looking at it, it definitely has the like British working class people yeah. like struggling with things. Which you know, and, progressives you
0: know, love to fap over. They're mm-hmm. like, I'm watching poor people struggle. Um, yeah
1: Although I will say I've watched a lot of uh growing up when I was you know, it was me and my best friend uh who came out to me when I was thirteen and he we were both huge film nerds. We watched Every gay drama we could find. Absolutely. And that meant that we watched a lot of very sweet British romances, including one called Beautiful Thing, which is like ancient, but also incredibly sweet and features uh, wall to wall mama cast songs on the soundtrack. So it's like adorable. And it's yeah, a young man in his in a council estate realizes he's gay falls in love and you know it's it's adorable but
0: i also did the same thing but i feel like i didn't see a gay like storyline or drama or show that was like outside of the tragic gay Mm -hmm. story until i was well into adulthood
1: yeah well you know i think there's I I guess if there is a lot of, like, suffering in God's own country, I would understand, like, why it would get less hype. I mean, partly it's just a different... um, If it didn't get picked up by a Mm -hmm. production company that... Like, by a studio that wanted to distribute it widely, it would have been harder to compete. Um, But also, like... I guess the well-off white dude-ness of Call Me yeah. By Your Name didn't end up being the thing that s- struck everyone as much as it was that there was, it was, like, beautiful and kind. You know, like, the kids, So, like they that had, was my whole thing. So, yeah. first
0: of all, we have to acknowledge that Armie Hammer and Timothy Chalamet look the way they do. Oh, yeah. That was a huge part of it. But then also, what I love about Call Me By Your Name is, I guess, technically, the ending's sad, but it's also a story about, like, a gay love story where the dude's, like, don't hurt each other and nothing really bad happens to them and they just like had a nice summer together and they're both better for having met each other.
1: Well, and that's what I think is like sad. It doesn't read as sad to me because he grows, his family uh, loves him, The, you know, Army Hammer's character doesn't wish him ill. I mean, there's like... It's taking place in the
0: 80s, but it's not about AIDS. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and
1: and that's something like... And that was like Luca Guadagnino made that choice because he was a teenager at that time. And so, like, these are the things that would have been going on. But it's a little bit of a fantasy, but also, like, it's a great dramatic illustration of the campsite rule, yeah. where when you, if you're older and you have a romance with someone who's younger, more inexperienced, your responsibility is to be kind and essentially leave them better than you found
0: them. Right, and God's Own is sort of like that too, except uh, I have a little bit of a problem, and I guess spoiler alert if you're planning on watching it, and it, like I said, it is a good movie. I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as Call Me as much as I did Call Me By Your Name, but it is good. Um, The the white guy is so closeted and so Mm -hmm. miserable. He's very abusive to everyone, including the partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the partner is a traveler, so there's a lot of, like, racism and xenophobia towards him. So you're, like, watching this poor character get shit on the entire movie. Yeah, And he's just, he's kind of like a Mary Sue character in the sense that he just puts up with it and is, like, full of endless love. Mm-hmm. And they do have a confrontation at one point. But I don't know. Like, I couldn't enjoy it as much because I was like, stop being so fucking mean to this guy. Yeah. You know? But anyway, I don't know. Rachel, thank you for writing in with that. I didn't mean to, like, shit all over the so. movie. I don't think I did. But um, there's also,
1: if you've never seen the movie Weekend, it's from 2011. Uh, also, a it's a small-scale uh, romantic drama about two men. Um, that you know meet and pull each other over and then spend a weekend together. It's quite sweet and like
0: mm-hmm. just a
1: nice little like brief encounter sort of romance. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has uh, this actor named Tom Cullen who is super super hot. And you might have seen him on later seasons of Downton Abbey, but he's also um, Tatiana Maslany's
0: partner. Okay, I think I've seen clips of that, and I had heard about it, but I never actually saw it when it came out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, check out Weekend. Yeah.
1: Oh, and if you're looking for a movie that's about uh, lesbians or about girls falling in love, I would check out All Over Me from the late 90s with Tara Subkoff Mm -hmm. because it's fucking brilliant, and um, it introduced me to a bunch of amazing alternative and riot girl music.
0: Hell yeah, I love that. So Ashley has a question. Um, This is about if you have conservative family. Okay. My question is simply, how do you deal with them? Or do you combat the fact that your family supports heinous people like Trump, Brian Kemp? I'm literally dreading the holidays due to this. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this because uh, I have basically been excommunicated.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and my parent, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a bad person for advice on this too because both of my parents were the ones that took proactive steps to um, stop communicating with the members of my fa- yeah. of our family I, that I are truly, Trump supporters. I
0: don't see the Trump supporting side of yeah. my family at all. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's one strategy: quarantine. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But if you're talking
1: about family members that are, um, you know, much closer to you, like. Actual immediate family that you have to see. I think that you know maybe start with some of the smaller things, like see if you can get them to turn off Fox News mm-hmm. while you're there. Right. Just you know maybe keep it as a like, okay, we're not going to get into these conversations, or I don't want to argue about this stuff. But right. can we, at the very least, like leave the rhetoric out of it? Like maybe yeah. putting a cable news moratorium mm-hmm. could be can we a not good watch start those during like, the holidays. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Um, I mean, and I I know that there have been a lot of conversations, especially among, you know, white young people about mm-hmm. our responsibility yep. to push back against with our family. But I think that there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have that option as much as, you know, you might. Where I think if that's you- like a
0: very privileged stance where it's like, I mean, first of all, Ashley, I don't know your situation, but just in terms of, like, self-care, too. Yeah. Do you want to be fighting with your entire family during the holidays? Well, and and I think that, like, picking your
1: battles would be a really good way to describe it. Like, if you have family that's aggressively bigoted in a way where they want to have a conversation where they use slurs mm-hmm. or denigrate people of color or queer people or disabled people, that um that those are times when you can speak up and challenge, but you know don't go you don't need to go looking for a fight right. um especially since you know the last thing we need to like the last thing to do at a time when so many of us are really exhausted is to put the responsibility of like dist- like fraying some of the connections you have because if things get harder you don't really want to be in a situation where right. you're uh you have to i don't know i just don't it, it doesn't seem like it would be very healthy or mentally to feel like you were antagonizing, you know, a mother or a father, if they're going to then use that to weaponize against you. So like,
0: yeah. And I mean, like, again, I don't know your specific situation. So I do, I admire the people who, you know, challenge their conservative family members and get into political debates. But my whole thing is, especially now during these tumultuous times, it's airline safety rules. Yeah. You got to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help anyone else so do what's best for you if if what's best for your mental health is to uh, do what Meredith advised which is hey can we just not talk about this during the holidays and let's like steer clear of politics if that's better for you and your own mental health great if you're a person who is like no fuck this I'm gonna like confront Mm -hmm. people who aid fascists whenever possible you're a boss and I applaud you as well or, or if you're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm not coming home for the holidays. Yeah, I was going to say. You guys voted for Trump.
1: This is, <laughs> and that's valid too. Yeah. You know, don't discount the benefits of starting new traditions with your chosen family when your chosen family is... Uh, comprised of people who actually support you and love you yep. uh, for who you are and what you're trying to bring into the world.
0: This is now the third year in a row I'll be doing Friendsgiving mm-hmm. with uh, Eric and Faith. Nice. And we have so much fun doing it. But yeah, that that's an example of like we created a, a friend holiday yep. where it's like we're all good for each other's uh, support and mental health. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going to be doing this this year. Uh, different situation, but I'll be at a Friendsgiving that happens has happened for maybe 20 years or so. And it's going to be a bunch of aging leather bears and <laughs> radical Catholics and general weirdos.
0: Yeah, love it. So Christina writes in, Hi, Allison, your show gives me so much joy every morning while I'm feeding my two kitties, Knox, who doesn't have a tail, and Eliza, and getting ready for work. Thanks, Christina. Thanks for being so awesome and articulate. Oh my God, stop. Anyways, my question is: if you have any advice on how to focus and give each of your commitments your all without burning out, I am a very demanding, I have a very demanding job in government relations plus a grad program, and I am a public policy director for a volunteer nonprofit for more inclusive K-12 schools for LGBTQ plus students. Holy shit. Wow, Christina, you're doing a lot. I have passion for each of these responsibilities, but it seems to be fading with burnout creeping up on me. I've been struggling with this for a while and not sure where to turn, so I guess my question is how to combat burnout when you have too many passions. Can I take this one if you, like, at Absolutely. least as a start? No, no, go ahead. Um, so this is actually something that I
1: worked really hard with my therapist over for, like, over the course of several years mm-hmm. because... Uh, when i was working more explicitly as a political journalist and just feeling like the stress of the job was keeping me from having the time i wanted to keep relationships solid and also like participate in causes and activities that felt like they were actually bringing a more direct benefit to the world mm-hmm. and one of the things that we kept coming back to is that um and this is this is is a little bit simplistic, but it's okay to not be giving it your, all, like every single thing you're all at the same time. Yeah. Like if there's you, you're allowed to not, you're allowed to let a few things slide. And I don't mean like abandon something, but you don't have to be like running the whole show for your, uh, for these, this inclusivity program If you have a big paper that you need to be writing Mm -hmm. or you don't have, you know, if you've got something that's happening at work, like maybe there's a way to see if you can figure it out. And I, you know, find a way to like offload a couple of your responsibilities. I think like asking for help and admitting that you're overwhelmed um, is really important. And Mm -hmm. it's not a sign of weakness or incompetence or like you're not good enough it and is a sign that you yeah. recognize that you're one human being and for sure the entire weight of the world can't be on you i
0: think that's especially hard to admit as women mm-hmm. because we're afraid if we admit that like we can't do everything at once or if we need help that will be perceived as weak yeah And, uh, you know, that's because of patriarchy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's a valid reason you feel that way. Well,
1: and also in late capitalism, we're taught to believe that that's weakness because there's somebody who's waiting to take our whatever thing that we're loving but can't quite give our all to that is willing to do it for less money or for, you know, like at a Mm -hmm. higher level because they have some privileges that are like completely hidden to us but Mm -hmm. that means they're still like oh yes of course I will do this we'll
0: just be replaced by an army of unpaid interns right
1: (laughs) um but that's real and you know the thing is is like you have to give yourself the space to recognize that even if you're tired or you feel like you're not able to like be excited about it that you are still doing so much Mm -hmm. and appreciate that Mm -hmm. but honestly I think Finding a, like Trying to see if there's a way to stagger things so that it doesn't feel quite so crushing all at once is going to be the main way to keep yourself from, from burning out, at least in the long term. And I think in the short term, I am a huge fan of really giving yourself time to veg out. Or like shut down for a little bit. Um, Even if that means, even if you say, all right, well, I've still got all this work I should do or could do, like stop the should voice and allow yourself to actually unplug a little bit because if you can relax and recharge, uh, even if it still means you have to get up in the morning and confront a big to-do list, um, you'll still feel better.
0: Yep. Yeah. 100%. Airline safety rules. Put your own oxygen mask on first. (laughs) Christina. That's a great answer, I don't think I can add anything. Who could have predicted that you would have (laughs) asked that question when I was sitting next to someone who was in therapy for that very (laughs) thing? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, all I
1: can say is that like, learning to forgive myself for what I perceived as failing, when Mm -hmm. it was really just not living up to ideals that I created for myself, based on what I believe other people thought, rather than what was good for me. It's like, it was a huge deal, and I, I want everyone to feel okay with grappling with that and actually looking at what is important to them and then thinking about what, where your limits are and then being true to that even if it means you can't quite do as much as you think you should because it's, it's okay if your limits aren't, are like fall short of doing everything you want.
0: For sure. And speaking of limits, (laughs) yeah, I was speaking with someone recently, uh, another lady, a comedy writer, about this. And it's not necessarily even malicious on the part of some people sometimes, but like you are the one who indicates to the world what your limits and thresholds mm-hmm. are. So if you are just doing everything, mm-hmm. people might just assume like she can do everything and keep yeah. throwing stuff at you until you were the one who's like, no, actually, you know what? I need to step back for a second and I can't do all of this. Mm-hmm. And actually, can you help me do this? Because I need help. Yeah, uh, Because sometimes people will just keep, throwing stuff at you. Cause they're like, she's Superwoman, She can do everything. And yeah. meanwhile, you're like internally falling apart, but they mm-hmm. don't know that. Right. Right. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to say, you know what? I have to hit pause on this one aspect of my right. life and step away for a second. Um, and as Meredith said, or keep doing what you're doing, but don't feel bad if it's not a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, guys, it's that time of the show. Let's all Hold hands and cry. It's okay. We'll get through it together. Here is your bad news. All right. We got to start by talking about this fucking bizarre encounter between CNN journalist Jim Acosta and Trump. So, uh, there's so many aspects to the story that like, I feel like the 24 hour news cycle keeps happening faster and faster.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> We're fitting three news cycles into one day, every day yeah.
0: The midterm feels like it happened 80 years ago oh, yeah. already. So, and already this story has spun into conspiracy theory land. Okay. So, we'll get to that in a second. But if you missed it, There was a press conference and uh,
1: Trump's day after the election conference where he starts arguing that (laughs) the trouncing they received in losing the House was somehow a big win. And then he threatened the Democrats.
0: Right. So Jim Acosta is like trying to not even grill Trump, but like ask him about this. And. Trump unloads on him. And mind you, someone who was a huge Trump and Mike Pence fan just sent bombs uh, around the country, including to CNN. Trump points at him and calls him the enemy of the people. (laughs) And he says that he's rude and that he's a terrible person. And then Jim Acosta gets his um, press access stripped from him. He tried to, at one point, gain access to the White House and the Secret Service apparently very apologetically had to stop him. And they were like, "Uh, we're sorry, you can't go in there. You don't have um, clearance anymore. So a targeted uh, attack of Jim Acosta and CNN. So that's bad enough, right? But then there's this video footage of a White House which uh it was it White House intern. Intern, okay. Yeah. Uh Jim Acosta has the the wireless mic, and Trump clearly wants uh, you know, Jim Acosta not to have the microphone anymore. Yeah,
1: he's trying to t- he's trying to shut him up and he keeps saying like next question, next, next question. question. And Acosta, like every press correspondent in the press room ever continues to try and right. get an answer for his question. Uh, so, you know, behaving exactly as you would expect someone. Totally, to
0: do. totally normal behavior. So uh, yeah. the White House intern comes up to him and she tries to take the microphone from him. Truly all Jim Acosta does is switch hands to hold and the say, microphone. Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse or me. Pardon me, ma'am. ma'am. I forget which one. Something like that. Something that's like firm but polite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost immediately the conspiracy theory cycle starts where InfoWars Edits this video. They slow it down, but then they speed it up in a certain <laughs> part. They they like edit it as much as they can to make it seem like Jim Acosta like assaulted this woman. Yeah. And the White House then takes this video, and I think it was Sarah Sanders. Sarah Sanders, yeah. Posted it as it's evidence. It's an
1: Infowars video. It is a
0: conspiracy video. It's it's utter bullshit. And now you have the White House press secretary reposting it thus giving it validity yep. and it, it but it happens so fast okay. like i feel like a couple of years ago that whole thing that i just narrated would have taken weeks yeah or at the very least a week and now, now that it's taken now it, hours it happened in hours and already this conspiracy theory is like flying into the ether oh my god oh, yeah jesus
1: and there's no art. We're having, where people are doing like Zapruder level film, like <laughs> frame by frame film it, there's analysis. There's nothing
0: to see. No. And
1: they're like, well, if he downloaded it from a GIF and then he made it, then it would be something, it could be like, you know, compressed it. And so that's why it looks like it's sped up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys. Like, it's fucking videotape. The man barely did not touch her. And also, in what fucking universe is somebody's job to take the microphone away from a person when they're asking a question? Like, I'm still stuck on the fact that, like, that woman is doing the bidding of Satan, basically, (laughs) and thought it was just fine. The way that she sheepishly just, like, gets down on the floor. Oh, my God. After he refuses to give up the mic because she's standing there like an asshole is like the extra bit because she's like, oh, dear, I must avoid the camera. No one can see my face. I was like, (laughs) "Okay, are you going to start wearing executioner's
0: hoods in there now? I wouldn't put it past them, actually. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, just watching people go through like painstakingly slow the video down, try to look for any sort of incriminating moment. Like, go Mm -hmm. watch the video right now. Truly nothing happens. And the fact that something like that can be spun out into a conspiracy theory of suddenly, like, Jim Acosta assaulted a White House intern, Mm -hmm. and then he was stripped of his press access. It's like, we are truly, truly in crazy land.
1: Absolute crazy land. And I just can't believe that this is still, like... And, I, you know, people... That was also in the same press conference where Yamiche Alcindor from... PBS NewsHour, a wonderful reporter with excellent experience, like a person who's got, and I mean, I, I hate that I even have to say, it's like, well, she's an upstanding character. But um, a person who does like very serious reporting and is very well respected, asks Trump about connections to white nationalism and the fact that he's called himself a nationalist and he's a proud nationalist. And so given the rise of white nationalism and white nationalist violence that's been taking place in the time that since he's been elected does he have thoughts about using a word that connects so quickly and he tried to and he shouted her down and called her a racist and said that he was asking a nasty racist question Mm. i'm sorry it's like no there's nothing racist about that that at all that's
0: a valid question yeah
1: Yeah. it's an an important question too and Mm. he just he treated her with such disrespect and it was obvious that it wasn't just that he was being asked the question it was that he was being asked the question by a smart black woman oh
0: of course like I mean woman bad enough yeah but then she had the nerve to be black
1: well and I mean it it must suck to be him and realize that there are so many smart black women just sitting in the press room waiting to ask him questions and going Literally, ready to school him. All of them are
0: smarter than you. Oh. uh
1: Without yeah. knowing
0: any of, any of them, I can say with full confidence, they're all smarter than him.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They could be mostly asleep before they've had any coffee <laughs> and they could easily make better uh, better sentences, better analyses, and better policy.
0: A hundred percent. So, but you would think like, okay, now they've attacked Jim Acosta. They've banned this yeah. very, I mean, whatever you think of Jim Acosta, I think in terms of CNN reporters he's one of the more respected ones sure Sure.
1: but we don't even have to have that much respect for him to see that this is just an example of absolute bullshit bullshit.
0: so but you think at that point like what is it going to take for cnn to be like maybe we shouldn't platform the extreme right anymore yeah (laughs) like is that ever going to happen or it's just like they could execute jim acosta on the white house lawn and mm -hmm. they would still be like Maybe we should have more conservatives on this panel.
1: Yeah, I don't know. If we could just get Ana Navarro's feelings about it, I'm sure that (laughs) that would be so useful. I mean, it's, this is the same, who knows? Like, there's the people who are defending what's happening, the people who have defended the, like, the fact that, People are going in and and not asking questions. They're not challenging someone, uh, you know. And they're like, "Well, but we're, our job is to ask questions." And I'm just like, at the, this point, don't you think that you have an ethical responsibility to call the president a liar to his face? Yeah, because he's gonna ban you if he decides you're gonna insult him mm-hmm. or you have insulted him somehow. So, like, why not make it count? I mean, it's the the fetish for access here and this need to placate insane people. Mm-hmm. And I actually know that's not fair to to placate evil people Mm. uh, like nothing good comes of it you know
0: well yeah and it's also i i wonder what's gonna win out i wonder if like the solidarity of the press corps will win out Mm -hmm. or the fact that we have you know corporate media and now the other news channels will be like okay so cnn's iced out yeah so we better keep our access Mm -hmm. so we have a competitive edge like what's gonna win at the end of the day yeah well and i mean (laughs) i've been talking
1: about this a lot with people recently that like All of this bullshit started when media companies were allowed, like media companies and telecoms were allowed to start merging in the late nineties. Thanks, Bill Clinton.
0: Thank you so much, Bill Clinton. Um, For so many things.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) let's not forget, he's also basically responsible for the sorry state of our media landscape right Right, now. Um, And that the corporate, the fact that the people in charge of the media outlets that are now struggling to decide what to do, are essentially Trump cronies, even if they don't agree with him. Because once you get to a certain level of wealth, you're de facto mm-hmm. uh, a Trump crony, unless you're George Soros, in which case you're the target of anti-Semitic right. violence. Right. Um So there's this. There's no way things are going to get better as long as the focus is still on the horse race and the nonsense of the shiniest horror horror show. Uh, which we are clearly going to get to the next thing Uh, in a minute. But yeah, yeah, it's like, it's really, it's distressing. And I, you know, is there a benefit to the idea that like everybody except like Gateway Pundit just stops going to briefings? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like then his lies wouldn't be, you know, and and headline writers wouldn't have to torture the English language to indicate that Trump is lying his face off. Like
0: the White House press conferences have always been propaganda but it feels like at this point like why are why yeah. is the press going
1: i mean i'm having like weird flashbacks to when ari fleischer was combative with yes. the white house press corps and it's like
0: they were practically singing kumbaya compared to what's i was happening. gonna say like ari fleischer looks like a pussycat compared to this circus and that is that's saying a lot Yeah. yeah so also in bad news uh the latest mass shooting in the united states happened in california at a bar late on wednesday at the borderline bar and grill in thousand oaks um a u.s marines veteran opened fire killing at least 12 people before he killed himself Ian David Long, 28 years old, used a Glock 2145 caliber handgun with an extended magazine to shoot patrons, staff, and a sheriff's deputy. Mm-hmm. Uh Sheriff Sergeant Ron Hellas, aka a good guy with a gun, mm-hmm. um, was shot and killed. So didn't matter that he was there. Uh and yeah, just like the latest mass shooting in the United States. And what's extra fucked up about this is now we have something in, in the United States where we have mass shooting veterans.
1: Yeah. There were many people at this event mm-hmm. and this tragedy that had also been at the Country Music Festival in Las Vegas where 58 people were killed and more than 800 were injured. Uh, that's Let's just remember that happened... Last year, at the yeah. beginning of October, 58 people were killed and more than 800 were wounded. Yeah. Uh, Insane. Like, and there were, there was overlap. So yeah. people were, like, rushed out of that bar, finding each other, and then having to talk about how it's just like Las Vegas.
0: And we, we've we had so many mass shootings in the United States that that is now a much more common occurrence. Yeah. Finding out that someone's a mass shooting veteran. Mm-hmm. just think about that.
1: Well, didn't a survivor of the Aurora Massacre in the movie theater also die in a, a shooting or yeah, die in something Yeah, something like that. But, yeah. but there's
0: been a, I've seen like yeah. a few of those stories popping up and that's obviously going to happen more and more the more mass shootings we yeah. have in the United States. Oh, and of course the young man responsible had been investigated for domestic
1: violence.
0: It's almost like there's a pattern when it comes yeah. to these kinds of shootings.
1: Oh, you mean that it's easy to identify that one of the few true common threads between mass shooters and and their uh, past interactions with law enforcement is that they were uh, investigated or arrested or charged with beating the women in their lives. That's exactly what I mean, Meredith. It's almost like... A history of violence against intimate partners correlates to a likelihood
0: of uh, much greater violence. Interesting. So we should probably take those early signs of domestic abuse much more seriously. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what would
1: happen if we actually had a law enforcement system in place where when a woman accused a man of domestic violence, he was, say actually investigated or if she tried to take a restraining order out against him there was some way to keep him away from her without having to have that person straight up violate
0: and potentially menace them before they could potentially be arrested it's crazy listen i know these are some extreme ideas we're spouting right now but just hear us out for a second because this literally keeps happening all the time Mm -hmm. So maybe if we, I don't know, learned from our history. Yeah. By history, I mean the thing that happened yesterday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I like, there's one other thing that I saw and I'm really, I'm struggling with it and I know it's a conversation that's happened before, but people have also said that the shooter was mentally ill because he had PTSD from his time serving in the military Mm -hmm. and like... I know a lot of people with PTSD. Me too. I know women with PTSD from sexual assault. I know people with PTSD from abusive relationships. I know people PTSD with PTSD from, from, from the military. Yeah. 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 Um uh, one of my dearest friends is essentially uh fully disabled because of the PTSD that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, because the being in the Afghanistan totally fucked him up. Yeah. And if there is one thing that those friends are not doing it's picking up guns and murdering people and it's not
0: just like there shouldn't there's so much more going on there it could possibly be a factor but to blame it on mental illness is not just a disservice to all americans because it won't make us safer obviously it's insulting to mentally ill people well it's it's just
1: like the the simplest thing is the common denominator is the history of violence of escalating violence pissed
0: off guy access to guns yeah
1: And like whether it's just whether it's entitlement, sociopathy, PTSD, it's the access to the gun and the inability to control rage that leads to this stuff. And until we get the guns away and then we we have to get the guns away from people before we can start dismantling toxic masculinity. There's literally no way to stop the killing until we stop the guns.
0: And how you know that will actually work is we're the only country in the world with this problem. Mm-hmm. We are not the only country in the world with, with people who have PTSD. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, there are people with PTSD in every country, but we have incredibly easy access to guns. So even, you know, whether it's mental illness from PTSD or, or just your average run-of-the-mill pissed off guy, mm-hmm. if it's really easy to get a gun, bad things are going to happen. How many fucking times does this have to happen before people learn that lesson? Yeah.
1: Well, and and you know the when New York Magazine published its uh, it was a cover story a couple weeks ago, um, of survivors of mass shootings from the nineteen sixties till now. So interviewing, they went back to a shooting at a high school uh, in Brooklyn in like nineteen sixty five or something, and then all the way through Parkland and like past Parkland, mm-hmm. like things that shootings that had happened in the last year. And it's a photo essay. And so they do interviews with all of these survivors. And you see, like, actually physically seeing these people and the damage that was done to their bodies. Oh, I mean, yeah. like. Oh,
0: I saw that. Uh, yeah.
1: They have the The cover was a picture of, I think his name is Anthony Ramos. Like, mm-hmm. the young, the 15-year-old boy oh, who, blocked the, who blocked the door and saved everyone in his classroom. His body is like, like
0: swishies. Like, oh, yeah. No,
1: it's, it is, I, I, it's. I astounding and horrifying I mean and you don't it's amazing he's alive (laughs) yes it genuinely is but it's also just like okay this is this is what the survivors are going through and I know the Times did a piece on what happens afterward like what it's like to continue if surviving doesn't mean that you're actually going to have anything go back to normal and I think like
0: like, a lot of these injuries are life altering mm -hmm. and, and we are You know as media consumers largely shielded from having to see like what happens to a human being when they are shot apart by an automatic rifle you know well i mean just just
1: exactly what one bullet can do is something that we don't have much knowledge of and you when you see people wielding weapons in media and on television or in movies You know, you're either watching Keanu Reeves waste a bunch of like Russian gangsters in John Wick or, you know, somebody gets shot and they just like lay there and they're injured. But you don't see that that, you know, it's amazing. Like a a bullet, one bullet can be deadly in your shoulder if it hits the right place. And it gets into an
0: entirely different territory when it's like an mm AR-15. Yeah. Uh, But also I've shot a Glock.
1: 45 and uh, like uh, several times and I'm pretty handy with one. And like that is a seriously high powered weapon. And with an extended, like you could with decent training and great malice, you yeah it's not surprising that he managed to kill that many people it's a serious serious gun
0: did you ever read that interview with the uh uh, er surgeon oh my god it was incredible i I think what publication i think it was huffington post huffington post interviewed uh an er surgeon who like dealt like in one mass shooting dealt with the people who were rushed in and was discussing the difference between someone who was shot with a traditional handgun versus like an Mm ar-15 And I'll never forget the way they described it, but they were like, with a traditional gun, there's a lot of damage, but there is uh, an organ for me to repair. Yeah. When someone is shot with an AR-15, there are no organs. Yeah. You know, like, that is how much it shreds apart the human body. Right. And when you realize, like, you don't see that in movies nope. or TV shows, like, so few people have that experience in person. Uh, and is it going to take every single American having a... First-person interaction with that level of violence to get it, and I, you know, what I think it might actually take that. I mean, I,
1: and even then, you'd still have people who would foolishly believe that if if it had just been, you know, they had just been armed, if they had just had something that they could have dealt with. Sergeant Ron Hellas was there,
0: you know, like a man with thirty years
1: experience, uh, you know, went in to do that, and yeah, of course, we hear it like treason. Do not believe it's like are certainly no fans of uh, the institutions of the police and policing in the united states
0: but this is the fantasy right that republicans (laughs) have Like, if the good guy was there and it was like your quote unquote good guy was there and you know the synagogue shooting Mm -hmm. you had multiple armed officers who were shot um but anyways guys enough of the bad here is your good news all right just full disclosure at the top of this segment i struggled with where to put the jeff sessions news because trump fired jeff sessions which is hilarious don't get me wrong very very funny he's a tiny tiny racist and he got fired and i'm very happy about that however that means now, uh, or I guess I should say, we don't know what that means for the Mueller probe, right? And that is potentially very, very bad and scary.
1: Yep. Although Mueller is supposedly uh, preparing his final um, final report, so but they're clearly preparing themselves in case they need to work on this because, as you guys can maybe imagine, the person that's currently acting attorney general is pretty bad.
0: Yeah, so uh, I lost the name of the guy. Something Whitaker. Whitaker, yes, Whitaker. Some jackass
1: from Iowa who believes that all judges should be Christian.
0: And who has for so long obviously been gunning for a role in the Trump administration. Um, So Matthew Whitaker is his name. He has served as Sessions Chief of Staff since late 2017. He's now been tapped to become Acting Attorney General. Somehow, even more off the wall than Jeff Sessions. uh, Never doubt there's
1: someone less competent and more crazy waiting in the wings.
0: Exactly. So... Now obviously people are very afraid uh, that he could stymie the the Mueller investigation because in 2017 he wrote this op-ed for CNN in which he said the Mueller investigation was quote, going too far. And he supported Trump's claim that the probe would be crossing a red line if it branched into the finances of Trump and his family, which of course is like their big fear. Please don't look into our tax returns. Please don't look behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, that's why I struggled with where to put it. Yeah. Because I'm like, who knows what's going to happen? But it is so funny that Jeff Sessions got fired.
1: Especially since the first line of his resignation letter is, at your request, I'm submitting my resignation. (laughs) And there's just something so perfect about, like, at your request, I am resigning because you are also firing me.
0: Well, also, someone pointed out there was no date on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> how long has that been sitting there uh, just ready to go? So, and yeah, like, did he write it? Yeah. <laughs> or did someone write it for him and he just resentfully signed <laughs> it? Or did they already have a stamp of his signature and they stamp? There's so many oh questions. Oh my God, so much. So also in good news, and again, I'm choosing to put this in good news because I feel like any challenge to... The uh, Republican governorships across the country is a good thing. There are recounts and legal challenges happening in Florida and Georgia right now. Oh, it's going to be so good, you guys. It's going to go on a while. So Andrew uh, Gillum is uh, challenging or is, has asked for a recount in the race against Representative Ron DeSantis, a big old racist. Oh, yeah um this is bananas desantis currently has a lead of 0.47 (laughs) percent yeah guys don't ever say your vote doesn't matter
1: (laughs) also this is in yeah 0.47 percent the law in florida just because it's useful in um two two races there uh a manual recount is triggered, or no, sorry, an automatic recount is triggered at 0.5. anything 0.5 or less, Yeah, and if the margin is less than a quarter of a percent, a manual recount is triggered, right. and that's important because at this point in time, Rick Scott is leading Bill Nelson in the Senate race by 0.22 percent, Right. Uh, so we are now in a situation where both of these races are going to be recounted. There's still ballots that are being tallied. Mm -hmm. The question is just how racist are the racists of Florida going to racist in trying to get these ballots disqualified? Because And
0: the answer is very.
1: Yeah, because I'm sure several people were little babies when the Bush v. Gore recount happened, but holy shit, that was ugly.
0: Well, this is also, I mean, if you... If you don't think there's going to be uh, a challenge to the amendment four results, mm-hmm. uh, you're dreaming, because there's no way Republicans in Florida and nationally are going to allow uh, uh, over a million um, former felons uh, the right to voting. vote. <laughs> yeah. You mean when, right it's for- vote. Like,
1: when it's forty percent of the black, popula- male, black male population, black male in population in the state? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah. Something tells me that that kind of a shift could make a lot of change to the future elections. Especially when
0: we're talking like (laughs) 0.25%, 0.47%, suddenly having a million more votes. Yeah, no way they're going to let that go unchallenged. So also in close race news, Stacey Abrams in Georgia is preparing a lawsuit uh, and plans to fight, uh, to continue to fight, her campaign is suing one Georgia county over absentee ballots with plans to pursue litigation in several other places, according to a lawyer on the campaign's litigation team. The hope is that the full count will push Abrams into a runoff election with Brian Kemp, and at this point, I'm like, How do you avoid a runoff? It's so yeah. close uh so- I mean the,
1: the thing is that like because Kemp was in charge of his own election, who knows what he'll be able to sort of pull out as supposedly okay. But I think the the questions remain. I mean, we could, this will be interesting. Yeah, yeah, he
0: he declared himself the victor with 50.3% of the vote. And that's 63,000 votes. That's it. It's 63,000 votes. He has resigned as Georgia's secretary of state. And the last I checked, the margin had shrunk to,
1: to like, she needs 22,000, 23,000 votes. Yeah uh so and there's 25,000 provisional and and absentee ballots that are still outstanding yeah so that's of things that are already cast and when you add in legitimate and serious legal challenges that will have to be heard as far as evidence of voter suppression and like malice versus incompetence um there's this is not going to be decided for a while
0: yeah. And also I'm glad that she is refusing to concede and she's fighting this. Why do you think it is? We were talking about this the other day on the show. That Democrats and admittedly this is like sort of anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. because I can't like point to a study that this is the case. <laughs> but just like in my experience following politics. Why do democrats concede so fast?
1: Uh sort of to signal their respect for the rule of law and to like because of a pathological and self-defeating need to be seen as the bigger person. I think that like <laughs> it. the moral high ground. Well, that's the thing and I mean that's why I think that Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum are both Kicking so much ass right now, yeah, Um, because they're not cowards, (laughs) right? Because (laughs) they because they both went into their races knowing that it was going to be an uphill battle, and that there was a good chance that they were going to fail on their own, like on in their faces, simply because systemic racism could have been enough to actually mean that they were not able to get enough votes so is that do you think it's that they're
0: these are people who were used to a tremendous amount of hostility and adversity and they're like oh this is what is it wednesday yeah Yeah. i think i i'm completely
1: certain that like that stacy abrams in particular has known since the minute she announced she was running for governor that she was going to have to put up with not just the bullshit that happened with Election Day, but also with all of these challenges, like I guarantee you that they have been ready with a multiple like the slate of strategies to fight because they knew that as soon as they got within striking distance, the entire weight of the, the conservative parties in in Georgia however you want to split them up was going to fight to try and steal it right and I think that like she just knows that that's the case there's zero downside to fighting when you know that this isn't fair and th- she and Gillum are both yeah they're they're both used to having to fight for what they've gotten and they ran as unapologetically black candidates with Uh, experiences that were really relatable to people of color in their home states so this is what i think that they're just doing the right thing by fighting in the way that their constituents and their voters want them to fight that's
0: what i said i'm like it's disrespectful to your supporters to concede that fast when it's this close well, and I mean, Gilliam did concede, and now he's walking it back because things have it's so become close, so clear. Yeah. Don't but,
1: concede. Um, but at the time, I can understand why they did that, and and given that how things were going on Tuesday night, I can understand that thing. I love that Stacey Abrams just straight up did not, and Remember for a know, second, yeah, no. And so, I I met her like oh, yeah. God, like a year and a half ago, right after like shortly after I I got to interview her and just have a chat. Oh, that's cool. She's like genuinely one of the most brilliant fascinating Mm -hmm. people i've ever had the privilege to talk to like she was so like she so genuinely believes in the policies and was so excited to talk about like why she knew that it was going to be a different game because of how she wanted to like fight for workers and fight for low-wage workers and care workers and recognizing uh, mm -hmm. that like the black women of georgia were going to be key to the to like getting things out because it's about so much more than everything and that like lifting just like actual genuine
0: passion that's what frustrates me about Beto because listen Beto's great we all love Beto blah 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 but in terms of like who had the closest elections Mm -hmm. like why are we not talking about Gillum And Abrams running for national office, like people are talking about Beto, Mm -hmm. where it's like they were way closer in the polls. Yeah. Well, and
1: and I think it's because the Democratic Party needs a white person at the moment or decided they wanted a white person for the moment. And I think that's really
0: faps it to the fantasy of having another candidate.
1: Well, I also think that everybody in the Democratic Party can't stop jerking off to the idea of taking Texas back
0: quote unquote sure that would which, be dope don't get me wrong but and also, also like that's
1: yeah. you know it's too soon and there have been a lot of very intelligent pieces written especially like in Texas Monthly who's been kind of basically called what was going to happen ahead of time recognizing that the benefit of of everything that happened with Beto is not that it, it doesn't it sucks that Ted Cruz won again but what's much more important is that like he create like he set out a template for future candidates it proved that you could get that close like if you can get that close with an unapologetically progressive agenda Huge, yeah. and a massive fundraising operation that is focused on not dealing with corporate interests and respecting your constituents and um you know yeah like not being afraid that you can yeah, you can get that close which means there's a lot of work that can be done especially since Texas is one of the most restrictive voting laws in the country yeah. so if you actually put resources into uh, registering people and making sure they're they know what's happening that could swing things and also the coattails of having people being excited like the entire like there were entire counties where judge slates were overturned and went straight from Republican to all Democrat. There are 19 black women on the bench in Texas now
0: that weren't there on Monday. that's what I talked about during the election (laughs) coverage episode where I was like, listen, don't get me wrong. Beto's dope, but so much cool shit just Mm -hmm. happened in Texas. And- and the the thing he was we settled on him, yeah. was, like, yeah, obviously a lot of these races aren't as glamorous as, mm-hmm. say, like, an O'Rourke versus Cruz, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, also, everybody hates Ted Cruz so much. It's really hard so not much. to get a hard-on for <laughs> humiliating him, but but yeah. not in a way that he'd like. Sorry, guys. Yeah, care. yeah.
0: Um, so I'll leave it up to you. Would you rather close out the episode talking about uh, the Antifa scaring Tucker Carlson, or do you want to give Ricky Rex?
1: Oh, God, that is really hard. I actually am kind of, I'm a little bit mixed on the Antifa, Tucker Carlson thing. Share Um, your feelings. Well, I think that like glitter bombing or having a big gay dance party in the street, like standing with your signs or banging the drums is one thing. Mm -hmm. But if it is true that whoever was banging on the door did actually bust part of the door open Mm -hmm. and Tucker Carlson's wife, was home alone and mm-hmm. was frightened mm-hmm. that is that's over the line. I think like ding dong ditching and or ringing the doorbell and then when somebody answers it being like your husband's a fascist nazi bastard totally fine. Right. Um I think there was just some element of like exactly what happened that makes me a little uncomfortable because sure. I do think that like fascists should not be allowed to be anywhere in public and feel comfortable when you start to be like, I'm going to go to your house and start fucking with you, it gets a little bit like the purge and like we aren't having purge night. And I also think like, you know... And I'm a huge purge fan, but I, this is like still, yeah.
0: And I like, I know, you know, asking the Antifa to be aware of optics is sort of (laughs) folly, but I mean, imagine, you know, I'm not saying they were all men, but like a group of young men going after a woman is, you know, if that is indeed how it went down. But the thing I wanted to talk about is this false equivalency. Of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see Stephen Colbert? He tweeted. Mm-mm. Where basically he was just like comparing uh, the damage that someone like Tucker Carlson does on a huge platform like Fox right. News to a bunch of Antifa guys breaking a door. Yeah. And it's like, but both sides are bad. And it's like, mm, you could make the argument that you just did, which is maybe this group of Antifa protesters went too far but to say that they do the same level of damage as like a network like a propaganda network like Fox News is just absurd
1: no frightening a rich collaborator who's a woman is not on the same level and I guess like I my interest in humiliating or insulting those bitches to their faces Mm -hmm is so strong that like the the weird vague threat part also as a person who's been punched in the face by a stranger and Mm -hmm. had someone break into my apartment I'm a little bit more sympathetic to people who have to deal with that stuff even if it's someone I despise like I just have a I have like a bit of like knee-jerk empathy just thinking like you're still a horrible person but like maybe you were genuinely frightened Mm -hmm. like I mean to be fair they're nothing that frightening about antifa even if they are banging on your door uh oh can i can i tell a really quick story that is also basically good news because yeah, it just feel good absolutely um so on tuesday i tweeted about this but um if you don't follow me you might have missed it also i was tweeting a lot um i had to take a cab from voting to my therapist's office and i get in the car we're talking about the weather it's raining it's disgusting i mentioned that my doctor had to push back our uh, our session by fifteen minutes because he had to run over to vote. Mm-hmm. And my driver says, "Oh man, I won't be a citizen until next year, but I can't wait to vote. It's going to be so awesome." <laughs> and then he starts talking about how in like how much he like can't wait and how he's like really you know he's like well you know he's like I don't understand why people don't pay attention I don't understand why people don't pay taxes he's like so I'm dying my car is telling me he's like oh yeah man I don't have to pay any taxes at all and he's like you know he's like I have to pay so many taxes and I've been living here for seven years and Mm -hmm. I'm still not a citizen and you're probably out there voting for Trump and this is bullshit (laughs) he's like it's just not right and I was like all right cool but he was very very psyched and like so blasé when I was like, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention like this. Like, you clearly know what's going on. And he's like, what? But we live here. This yeah. is like what you're supposed to do. Course, and I just like, was like, thank you, Venezuelan cab driver.
0: You're just the best. Like if you're not born with that privilege, you appreciate it so much more. Guys, be like that man. Be excited <laughs> to be civically engaged and care about the shit that's happening around you. If, if only out of empathy and solidarity with marginalized people who yeah. are in huge danger right now. Uh, maybe carry some glitter around in case you need to glitter bomb somebody always be ready to glitter bomb guys thank you so much for listening to light trees and news please follow meredith on twitter at meredith l clark and yeah guys while you're at it get out there and cause a little trouble throw some glitter